Good morning, fellowship. Would you stand with us? Let's worship together.
may be seated this morning. Check out this video. Good morning, fellowship. My name is Matt Archer. Good morning. My name is Wendy Hall, and Matt and I both uh, have the privilege of working on the elementary team here at Fellowship. This morning, we just want to welcome you guys and draw your attention to this QR code. Um, this will take you to all the slides and all the announcements today, but the most important announcement I can tell you about is the 3456 retreat. That was that video that you just watched, and it is coming up. You have one week to sign up. It's October 23rd, it's a Saturday, and it's for third, fourth, fifth, sixth graders and a parent. And this is your opportunity to get to connect and to just make memories together and also be with community and draw close to the Lord. So I do not want you to miss it because it is my absolute favorite thing that we do here at Fellowship. So you have one week, it's $30 a person, sign up. What do you have to lose? It's an opportunity to connect, and we all need that right now. And if you're not going, um, I covet your prayers. Would you please pray for this retreat? Would you pray for great weather? And would you pray that everybody who signs up would have life change? And speaking of life change, um, I want to show you this picture. This is Matt and his two boys. They went when they were in third and fourth That's grade. Amazing. And now they're in 11th and 10th grade. And it's just a reminder that time is fleeting. So make the most of every opportunity. So if you're on the fence, sign up. So good. Thank you for showing that, Wendy. <laughs> so that reminds me that my boys used to be shorter than me. Um, it is so great to see you guys. And we loved Camp 3456. That was seven years ago for us right there. And my boys still talk about it. They still talk about just the connections we were able to make, the fun we were able to have. And so we really encourage you guys to sign up for that retreat. Um, along with that, we have a few other things that are happening in elementary ministry. Uh, you might not know, but elementary and early childhood are all now doing the exact same curriculum. And so they have the same Bible passages that your kids are studying. If they're in birth through sixth grade, they're all studying the same Bible passages. They're all... Um, talking about the same big ideas and everything. So on your way home from church, you don't have to be like, all right, so what did y'all talk about? And what did you guys talk about? And trying to keep it all straight in your head. No, we have one thing and one big idea that we we're all talking about. And so that's great. Along with that, we've made an easy way for you guys to have a family Devo during the week. Um, we put out a family Devo video every week. And so 
under that news tab, if you click the watch services tab, and then there's a tiny little thing right there that says family. If you click on that little link right there, it'll bring you up to our weekly family video. And it's about 15 minutes long. It has worship, it has teaching, it has games, and it has some questions that you guys can process together as a family. And that's just an easy way for you to spend some time talking about Jesus and talking about these things at home as a family. Um, I'm gonna say my next announcement is gonna induce a little bit of panic. You guys ready? The Loving Choices baby bottles are due today. And now you're like, man, where do we put that? Um, so stuff that thing with cash, and you can take it out to Booth C out there. I'm sure that they will take it late. It's not like they're like, no, no, we don't want it. Um, no, they will definitely take it late. But if you have it, please turn it in at Booth C today. Hey, can you guys pray with me? Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you so much for these families that are here. Thank you so much for this time and this place, Lord. Father, we pray for Camp 3456. I pray that it would continue to be a place where um, you draw parents' hearts to their kids and people's hearts to you, Lord. Lord, we pray for the kids at Fellowship. I pray that they would grow into men and women who love you with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, Father. Lord, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Continue to sing of the greatness of our God and his sacrifice. There was a moment when the lights went out When death claimed its victory The king of love had given up his life The darkest day in history There on a cross they
continue to sing our praise to the high King of heaven, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords. And in the darkness we were waiting without hope, without light, till from heaven you came running, there was mercy in your eyes to fulfill the law and prophets, to Throne of endless glory to a cradle. 
Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, challenges us with this. Paul writes, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We as believers are called to walk in the Spirit, that when we do so, we will bear the fruit of the Spirit. And so this morning, we have the opportunity to sing this prayer, that we'd abide in Him. So would you lift your voice and make this your prayer, that you depend on the Spirit. Walk in Him. We sing.
this together. I depend on you. I depend on you. I depend on you. I depend on you. Oh, I depend on you. Oh, we pray. I depend on you. Oh, I depend on in your spirit, would you teach us to trust that you are good, that you are better? And God, would you help us to hold fast to the promises that we find in your word? And this morning, as we look to your word, we see this call to righteous living. So may we fight for godliness as your people. And God, would your spirit help us? And would the body of Christ encourage us to carry on? As we pray in Jesus' name. So what do you want to be when you grow up? Have you thought about it yet? Some of you better start. You're running out of time. This is usually a question asked to children to give them an opportunity to dream or envision their future. Let me show you some answers kids gave to the question. Toby wants to be a veterinarian. Sophia wants to be a baseball player. Violet, a chef. Isabella and Lila both want to be ballerinas. David, a fireman. Anthony, I believe, a pilot. But look at Albert. Albert wants to be a person who stays home and does nothing. (laughs) That lacks aspiration. He hopes to one day be unemployed and inactive. Just an expert in Netflix and TikTok. This child took it very specifically. He says, well, I'm seven. I hope to be eight. When I grow up, the next one is, is probably my spirit child. He wants to be a wolf. Wouldn't that be awesome to be a wolf? The next one wanted to be Michael Jordan. Understandable, but look at the follow-up answers. Well, what has to happen? He says, well, I'm going to have to get bigger and obviously shave my head. The next one wants to be a family man. He wants to get married, have kids, but look at his occupation. He wants to breed dragons. That's probably against the POA rules in our neighborhoods. The last one's my favorite. This guy wants to get a girlfriend, kiss her, and then rule the world. I love it. So what do you want to be when you grow up? Let me rephrase the question. Who do you want to be when you grow up? I want you to open your Bibles this morning to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Today, we're going to see in our passage a description of what we should all strive for or strive to be when we grow up. The scriptures today will paint a picture of what a Christian leader looks like as they mature in the faith. We're going to receive today a a description, a target, a picture of godliness in which we can all aspire. Now, remember our mission statement here at Fellowship. We exist to produce and release spiritual leaders, 
people who know and express the authentic Christ to Northwest Arkansas and the world. And our hope, our prayer is that each one of us, everyone in the room, you and me, will one day grow up in the faith, become more and more like Jesus, and then make a kingdom contribution. We describe that as a maturing disciple with a ministry focus. And today's passage will give us a detailed description of what that being side looks like. It'll be a resume of, of godly character. We're continuing in our series today, our fall series, on the New Testament book of 1 Timothy. For those of you who are new to Fellowship Rogers, this is what we do. We take books of the Bible, we work through them verse by verse, or portions of Scripture, and we've been studying this letter, this epistle, written to a first-century young pastor named Timothy. Within the letter, we found that it's an encouragement for him to persevere in the ministry, and it contains instructions on how to do church. And today, it will instruct Timothy on church leadership. So take a look of verse 1 of chapter 3. It reads like this. Here is a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now, chapter 3, verses 1 to 13, is a section of the letter addressing church governance or leadership. And it's going to offer instructions about the role of elder and deacon. An elder is a member of the local church leadership board. Now, you may say, the passage doesn't say the word elder. Well, it actually uses this word overseer. And it, it reminds me that the New Testament uses several terms in the English to describe this one office of church governance. It uses the word um, overseer or elder or pastor or bishop or even shepherd. There's three Greek words. Now, some in the church today or in church history have thought that the distinction of these terms refers to different offices in the church, but we see it as one office with multiple descriptive terms. You might ask, what do elders do? What, what do elders spend their time doing? What's a local church board member do for his duties? Well, here are some things the scriptures mention, that an elder governs, an elder shepherds, an elder guards or teaches truth, an elder prays for those who are sick or in need, and an elder manages church finances, just to name a few. Let's talk a little bit about our elders. Fellowship believes in the wisdom and the discernment of a plurality of elders or leaders. Currently, we have 11 elders on our board. They were nominated and affirmed by the church with 100% consensus. Our elders meet monthly unless there is a need for more frequency. They host an annual prayer and planning retreat. They approve the ministry budget and the ministry plan. They dream forward. They solve problems. And our elders make decisions by consensus, not majority vote. They tend to focus on macro decisions, big picture items, yet they do specific ministry amongst individuals. They rotate seasons of service with term limits. And for every staff member on the elder board, we must have at least two non-staff members. Currently, we have two staff members, nine non-staff. And I just want to take the moment since the scriptures brought it up to publicly encourage our elders. The elders have had to weigh in more in the last eight 
18 months on the specific ministry things going on at fellowship than they have in the previous 30 years. It called for leadership in the last 18 months, and the elders stepped up and led. And I just want to say, as a church member at fellowship, thank you to our elder board for leading us well. You may not have agreed with every decision they made, but I guarantee you, you wouldn't have wanted to walk a mile in their shoes. And I want to challenge us to continue to pray for our elder board because I believe more tough decisions are ahead. Well, Paul writes to Timothy and says, it is a good thing to aspire to be an elder. He says, whoever aspires to be an overseer, an episcopos, desires a noble task. Aspiring to serve as a church leader is a noble thing. It's an honorable thing. Serving the body of Christ, expressing spiritual leadership is a good thing. Being willing to give of your time and your energy and your emotion for the good of the church is admirable. Now, this verse is not condoning selfish ambition. It is not encouraging you to seek or to campaign for the position of elder. It's not uh, affirming one to seek a position of power. Remember, church leadership is not about power or privilege or prestige. It is a call to self-sacrifice in service of others. It is about emptying oneself, taking on the responsibility for the spiritual well-being of others, giving of oneself for the benefit of other people. This verse, verse is affirming the commendable nature of desiring to serve in leadership in the local church. Now, it will be interesting as we look at our passage today. It's going to focus solely on the qualities or the qualifications of elder, more on the duties or the task of the role. It seems like who is placed in leadership is more important than the job description or their competencies or their skills or experiences. In fact, the next seven verses will give us 15 attributes that qualify a person for the office of elder. And basically, it's going to describe a godly and mature person. Now, some of you may be tempted to check out this morning because you've got it in your mind, oh, you're talking about them, not me. But not so fast, my friend. I believe that this passage applies to you. Here's my thought. What if we all aspired and sought after these qualities? What if we didn't have a church of, with godly elders? What if we had a godly church that each of us manifested these attributes? If, if this is the target, if this is the, the resume, the description of godliness, then I think we all ought to pay attention. Are you in? And that's how I want us to approach the passage this morning, devotionally. We'll absolutely learn about the office of elder, but I want us to aspire to the kind of person that is worthy of the office. So what qualifies a person to be an elder? What does a godly leader look like? Well, it's at least these 15 attributes. Dr. Wayne Grudem said this about choosing the right leadership for the church. 
He said those who are choosing elders in churches today would do well to look carefully at the candidates in light of these qualifications, referring to 1 Timothy chapter 3. And to look for these character traits in godly living rather than worldly achievement or fame or success. So what's the qualification for the church leadership board? Christ-likeness, not education, not experience, not community clout, not being well-known. It's godliness that qualifies you for the role. So let's look at it verse by verse. Let's pick it up in chapter 3, verse 2. It says, now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. The office of elder is open to qualified men. We talked about this last week in our sermon on 1 Timothy chapter 2. You can pick it up online if you missed it. So, so what are the qualifications? Well, the list begins with a summary statement that the elder is to be above reproach. This is a broad statement. You can basically say that it is a person who lives at such a high standard that others can trust their character without question. It does not mean that they're perfect. It does not mean that they are without sin or faultless, but they have a blameless reputation that they don't have an issue in their life that would prevent someone else from trusting them or following their decision-making. At Fellowship, we nominate elders from the body, and then candidates are selected. And then we put the candidates before the whole body, and we ask you to affirm that you can follow them or to write to the elders and give a substantial reason why you cannot follow them. Now, I want you to think about that. How would you like for your picture to be put on this screen and then offer thousands of people the opportunity to write in and say why they can't follow you? Any volunteers? Above reproach. The second quality is that they are faithful to their wife. That's the way the NIV translates it. The Greek reads, one woman man. Other versions like the ESV or NAS version of the Bible translated as husband of one wife. What does that mean? What does it mean to be faithful to your wife or to be a one woman kind of man? Well, obviously it would eliminate the possibility of polygamy. That an elder is not to have more than one wife. And obviously it would eliminate having extramarital affairs in your present or in your past. These are obvious. More conservative interpretations would say it also includes no divorce or second marriage. Some of the most conservative interpreters would say no single men. So you can see there's some variance in how different churches interpret this particular qualification. But all agree an elder is to be faithful to his wife and not promiscuous. And he's temperate. The spiritual leader has an even-keeled mode of operation not inclined to extremes and opinion, expression, or decision. This person doesn't redline easily and operates in moderation. And right along with that, the elder is self-controlled. They're a disciplined person, not driven by urges. After all, how can an elder govern others if he cannot control his own self? 
and they're respectable. They're the kind of person you look up to and admire. I was actually at the elder meeting on Monday night. I arrived a little early and they were taking their dinner break and enjoying a sandwich. And I was just kind of looking around the room at the men. And this is the quality that came to my mind. I respect these guys. I look up to them. I hope one day to grow up to be like many of them. They're respectable. They're an example of Christ's likeness. They have wisdom and then have consistently lived it out over time. And look at the end of verse 2. It says the elder is able to minister. They're hospitable and able to teach. An elder must be a people person, able to connect with all kinds of different people, a person who warmly pursues relationship with others, a person who invites people to their table and, and into their heart. And then they're able to handle the word of God. This is the only hard skill or competency in the whole list. An elder must be a student of the word, and then they must be able to understand doctrine and pass it on to others. Often the most difficult and complex issues about church doctrine or conduct will be brought to the elder board. In fact, even last Monday night, an issue was brought before the elder board for them to begin to discuss a position about that for us as a church. The elder needs to be able to handle the word of God with proficiency. Now verse 3 offers four prohibitions, four not. So for those of you who are doing your inductive Bible study in your first Timothy guide, surely you saw the repetition, the word not repeated four times in these two verses, right? Yeah, brag about that tonight at community group. Four nots. First, he's not given to drunkenness. The elder is called to soberness. He's to be filled with the spirit, not with alcohol. It's not a call to abstain from alcohol, but definitely a call to, moder to moderation. And as followers of Christ, we all need to remember that we're on call. We need to be ready and available to respond to the calling of God in our lives, whether it's the call to pray or the call to serve someone else. And if one is inhibited by too much to drink, then they cannot properly be the Lord's hands and feet in the moment. And since the passage brought up alcohol, can we talk about alcohol for a minute? What does the Bible say about alcohol and its use? Well, it definitely warns about the dangers of alcohol, and I think we can all relate to that and confirm that alcohol should be treated with caution. It has wrecked many lives. But the scriptures also give freedom for followers of Jesus to partake in alcohol in moderation. I have found that this chart has been particularly helpful. There are four stances one can take in regards to the use of alcohol. Two are considered mature positions and two immature. Let's work through it. Some choose to exercise their freedom to partake in alcohol in a mature manner. They do so in moderation, never becoming drunk or inhibited. They stay sober so that they can respond to the Lord and pray and fulfill their calling in life. They understand the standard of right time, right place, right amount, and right people. But there are some who partake, who exercise their freedom 
in an immature manner. They drink in excess. They become inhibited. They drink too frequently or use alcohol as a crutch or a coping mechanism. Others choose to exercise their freedom to be non-partakers. And they do so in a mature manner. They follow the Lord's leadership in their own life without legalistically judging others who differ with them. And the last group would be the immature non-partakers, those who choose not to drink and become self-righteous about it. They become judgmental of those who aren't necessarily outside of the biblical standard. Well, regardless of your position, this issue is one we need to approach wisely and with caution. So continuing with the prohibitions, the elders should not be given to drunkenness and they should not be violent. The leader should not be someone who's quick to throw a punch. Brutality is off limits for the elder. An elder should not put anyone in a chokehold. Instead, the elder is called to be gentle, to tame their anger, and bring peace and calm to any potential altercations. And continuing that theme, the elder should not be prone to quarrel. Not only are they prohibited from a physical content, conflict, but they should also not argue. You know, there are some people in life, and I struggle with this, who like to argue as a hobby. They get energized by disagreeing or confronting others, and this would not be a good quality for an elder. The last prohibition is that they should not be a lover of money. An elder shouldn't be greedy or materialistic or fixated on money. Their pursuit of Jesus and service to others should not have to compete with their pursuit of riches. It's not that having money is wrong. It's the love of money that trips people up. Money can be intoxicating. So he shouldn't be drunk on wine and he shouldn't be drunk on cash either. The mature leader's heart is to be completely sold out to Jesus, not his or her bank account or possessions. Can I shoot you straight? You really don't have a choice. Our church is full of people with money. And before you start thinking of who I'm talking about, I'm talking about you and me. We live in a highly educated, corporate, white-collar area. Our standard of living is well above the poverty line. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be known as a rich church. I want to be known as a generous church. I believe we're called to bless others with the blessings that God has given us. It's not whether we have it. It's what we do with it that matters. Well, the list of qualifications continues in verses four and five, and now the focus turns towards the home. It reads, he must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. I mean, he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect, parenthetically. After all, if anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? Another consideration for church leadership for the elder is his family life. A healthy marriage and healthy parenting are signals that there is an ability to manage the family of God. In the scriptures, the family of God, the church, is metaphorically compared to the home. And here it's saying that inability to manage one's own family could disqualify you from managing God's family. 
Now, one thing to consider here is to not consider these verses as punitive, but as wise. Think about it this way. If a person were to be having trouble in marriage, and how many of us have been there, or are having trouble parenting, it would not be healthy to ask them to give so much time to the church when they have trouble in their own backyard. Now, the final two qualifications for elder are given in verses 6 and 7. It says this, he must not be a recent convert or he will become conceited and fall under the same judgment of the devil. And he must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace or into the devil's trap. It's also important for the elder not to be someone who is new to the faith. Too much responsibility too early could lead one to pride and arrogance. It could cause someone to either become puffed up or to crumble under the pressure. It doesn't mean that we cannot have influence in our youth. In fact, in the next chapter of 1 Timothy, Paul will actually encourage Timothy to have great influence even though he is young. But I think there's wisdom here that growing some depth and maturing in life experience will serve the elder board well. And then the last one, he must have a good reputation with outsiders. This list began with reputation above reproach, and it ends with reputation. So this person is to be known inside the church and outside the church as a person of noble character. So here's the list to aspire to. This is the resume of godliness. And not only does it give us a picture of what our leaders should be, but it also gives us something to aspire to, and then I want to use it right now as a diagnostic tool for personal evaluation. If this is a picture of what a godly person looks like, how are you doing? Are you encouraged? Do you see some things on the list that you are consistently living out? Do you see some progress in your life? that the Lord is sanctifying you and bringing godliness into your life? Are there any obvious needed improvements? Is the Holy Spirit of God convicting you? Is one of these words in a larger font and it's blinking at you right now? I'll be honest with you, I've never read this list where I wasn't convicted. And I've read it many times. This is a tough list, isn't it? And as I started reading back through it this fall, I was actually encouraged. And the Lord said, you've made some progress here. And then I was deeply convicted. And he said, I want you to work on this now. How about you? A few years ago, there was a man in our church, and he brought his child into the service, the adult service. And we happened to be nominating for elders. And during announcements, they said, hey, there's elder nomination forms out at the central booth. And this young man went out and got an elder nomination form and nominated his father. It was an inside job. And he told his dad, I nominated you for elder. And the father was flattered, but maybe a little embarrassed. And he said, hey, let me grab that brochure. I want to make sure you understand what an elder is. And he showed him what the elder is and who the elder is. And he said, yeah, dad, that's you. How would you like to have that? Who knows you better than the person inside the four walls of what you call home? Who sees you at your best 
and your worst? What would those closest to you say about how you grayed out on the list? Well, not only does the passage mention the office of elder, it also describes another leadership position, the role of deacon. Look at verse 8. It says, in the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, that's above reproach, and then if there's nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. It goes on, it says, in the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect. Not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be faithful to his wife, must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. So the role of deacon, a deacon is a person of character, a person who takes their faith seriously, a person of conviction, a person that people can trust and follow without objection. This list parallels the list of elder um, almost identically. You saw in verse 11, it mentioned qualifications for women. This passage, some believe, speaks of women deacons, while more conservative scholars believe that it is speaking of the wives of deacons. There is biblical precedent for women deacons. In fact, Romans chapter 16, verse 1, mentions Phoebe the deacon. Others believe that uh, this is speaking of wives, and it would make sense that wives would serve alongside of their husbands who were deacons. Either way, it mentions that women are to avoid being malicious talkers, controlling their tongue, not talking behind people's backs or gossiping. It's a great leadership quality for all of us who serve as spiritual leaders because when people entrust themselves to us and share their struggles with us as spiritual leaders, they assume that we won't broadcast it to the whole neighborhood. The passage closes by commending those who aspire to be leadership. It's booked in that way. Now, the role of deacon, that word diakonos, simply means humble servant. And the prototype is Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 6, which tells a story of the first century church and the elders have become distracted because they're serving in the food distribution part of the church. They were hosting a meal, and the elders found themselves waiting tables. And they had an aha moment where they said, we are neglecting the macro leadership, the big picture, the ministry of the word and prayer, waiting tables. We need another level of leadership. So they called upon some humble servants to wait tables. And we still follow that to this day. You may ask, does fellowship have deacons? Well, yes and no. Do we have humble servants who focus on the everyday business of the church? We do. That's our staff. I am not an elder. I serve in a role of, of deacon, humble servant. We get our hands dirty. We are the frontline workers of the church. Uh, we serve alongside of the elders. And we have other deacons. Some of you serve in that role. Our community group leaders and coaches are Student ministry leaders and children's ministry leaders and men's and women's ministry and worship leaders. We're all just humble servants who take care of the everyday business and needs of the church. We serve under the leadership of the elder board. 
Again, we look at the list and we see that who is in the role is spoken of predominantly without talking about what they do. It's more about character than it is about competency. Godliness is the primary standard for church leadership. Brian Chappell said this in his first Timothy commentary. He said, Christian ministry and leadership was, is without a question a matter of character. One's authentic spirituality and Christian character is everything in church leadership. I would just say it this way, that godly churches are led by godly people. If the highest office in the church is a role for a human being, then it requires the highest standard. If you want a church that passionately pursues God, then you need leaders that passionately pursue God. Christ-centered ministries are led by Christ-centered elders. But what if? What if we didn't just expect these characteristics of our leadership? What if we all pursued them? What if you pursued them? What if we all became the kind of people that are qualified for the role? What kind of church would we be? What kind of church would we be if there was no hypocrisy? If we all lived our lives above reproach? What kind of church would we be if we had faithful marriages? What kind of church would we be if our, our parents consistently passed on the faith to the next generation and our kids loved the Lord and lived this stuff out in the, in the school system? What kind of church would we be if we had the respect of both those inside the church but also outside in the public square? What kind of church would we be if we were peaceful instead of argumentative, temperate and not dependent on substances, hospitable and not exclusive of others, generous and not materialistic, able to teach truth and not talk behind people's backs? See, that's the kind of church I dream of. A church that is full of maturing disciples who want to make a difference in this world. Shall we pray about it? Would you bow with me? And I want to give you just a moment this morning to ask the Lord if there's anything in life that he wants to affirm in you from this list we looked at today or if he wants to convict you about. Is there an area he wants to say, well done, you're maturing, or an area he needs to say, let's stop and hit reset. Allow him to speak to you in the moment. Don't leave here and miss this opportunity. Well, Father God, this is your word. It is alive and active. And I pray that it would penetrate our hearts and souls today. Lord, as we look at this list of qualifications for spiritual leadership, I pray that you would make it personal and that you would affirm each one of us in the progress and you would convict each one of us where we need to repent and commit to self-discipline. Lord, I pray for our church that we will be ever increasingly pursuing godliness. And Lord, you would use us to make a difference in this world. We pray for our elders. We pray for their hearts to be pure, for their personal spiritual life to be vibrant, and for you to give them wisdom and boldness to lead us in this moment. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us? Let's sing about the glory of the church.
life eternal I believe in the virgin birth I believe in the saints communion and in your holy church I believe in the resurrection when Jesus comes again for I believe in the name of Jesus I believe in God our Father I believe in Christ the Son I believe in the Holy Spirit our God is three in one I believe in the resurrection that we will rise again for I believe in the name of Jesus let this be our prayer this morning we see so let the glory of your name be the passion of the church let the righteousness of God be your holy flame that burns let the saving love of Christ be the measure of our lives we believe your passage together from Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among the nations. May this be our prayer that we'd walk by the Spirit in faithfulness. If you need prayer this morning, we have the Stebbins in the prayer room. They'd love to pray with you, over you. Would you go in peace this week, fellowship?